Hi, how are you? This is the Feedback Loop with Sino Global's Matthew Graham. And today's episode, very excited to have Tarun Chitra with us. Today's episode, Tarun, where is punks and the inscrutable tweets? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm, I'm super excited for this because, uh, so Tarun, you are the CEO at Gauntlet, which I, I think, is is this the best way to describe Gauntlet? That it's a simulation platform, this is partly from your website, simulation platform uh, for stress testing and things like that for financial models related to blockchain protocols, applications and such. Is that is that the best way to... Uh, to describe Gauntlet? Yeah, I mean, I think we uh, probably could add a, a little more um, uh, uh, stuff to our website because it's been a while since we updated it. Um, but yeah, we're really focused on bringing sort of the financial models for stress testing DeFi protocols, um, making them more available and easy for uh, investors to, to use and understand. Um, we kind of just put out a risk score on DeFi Pulse, which gives you sort of an idea of the amount of different types of risk in the system for Aave and Compound. So, for instance, if March 12th happened again, you know, what's the probability that the protocol would be unable to uh, liquidate underwater mm-hmm. debt? Um, and so we, you know, we're working on basically getting this to the point where for a lot of DeFi governance, uh, you know, there's a ton of parameters to set and we will be making sort of like automated predictions of, hey, you know, currently given the current market environment, if we choose this parameter, you'll have this much risk uh, in the protocol. So, you know, I think our simulation platform was based off what people use in high frequency trading for stress testing mm-hmm. trading strategies, but we've adapted it so that DeFi protocols can be stress tested and sort of in a continuous manner. So. You know, you can monitor these protocols and, uh, you know, really understand how much risk is involved and whether, you know, you should make certain size trades, et cetera. Understood. So I, I actually think that's we could do a whole episode about Gauntlet because it's doing some of the most pioneering work in the crypto space. But my concept for uh, the feedback loop is uh, at its core is the fact that uh some of the people in crypto, notably yourself, in, in my view, are some of the most interesting people anywhere. But we talk about work all the time. And, and I'd love to talk about other things with you as well. So for sure. Uh, and I, I thought I, I found out I, I did a little I, I searched your name and I found out some fascinating things about you that I'd love to learn more about. So my understanding is that at the age of 12, you you ran yourself the biggest whereas site, uh, I guess it was on the entire internet. Is that correct? I'd, I'd love to learn more about this. You, you started at 10. Tell, tell us about this. Yeah, so I, I had uh, basically, you know, I think the way this really started is uh, I think when I was eight or something, mm-hmm. I wanted to, to buy a, a CD that was... Um, well, I guess I'm dating myself by saying, but I wanted to buy a CD that <laughs> no problem. You know, had, uh, had you a, and me both. You know, no problem. Parental. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it had like a, a, a parental advisory and whatever, uh. and my parents wouldn't let me get it. So then I, uh, you know, I, my cousin was like, hey, there's this thing mm-hmm. called uh, 
LimeWire. Mm. Um, or, well, actually, I think we used something called Scour, which was like a, pre- mm. a semi-Nutella version of, of LimeWire. Right. Uh, and then basically I started downloading stuff and I was like, oh, this is awesome. How do I download more things? How do I watch movies? How do mm. I do whatever? And over time I learned about, um, you know, but I think by the time I was 10, I realized that there is sort of this thing uh, in Internet Relay Chat on IRC mm-hmm. where there were these channels um called where's channel so where's w-a-r-e-z stands for sort of illegal pirated goods uh the z is meant to mean indicate that it's sort of like someone has found some good wares w-a-r-e-s that are illegally procured Uh and what i learned is the quality of the pirated goods increases the further up the hierarchy you go Uh so uh, if we take a step back before understanding internet related chat and sort of Nutella and LimeWire and all of these things, uh, how does a pirated good get to the internet? Mm. Uh, and the way it works is something called via something that, you know, at that time was termed the scene. I have no clue what it's called nowadays. But the, the scene. Basically, the scene. Yeah, okay. it has this like kind of like almost like CIA like <laughs> secrecy okay. sounding thing. But you can, you know, the more people trust you online mm. that you're not a cop, the more you kind of learn about this. So you're navigating the scene at age 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, or 10 exactly. to 12. Exactly. I was just trying to figure out how to get who the top was. You know, Amazing. imagine if, like, you know, you were a kid who was, like, you know, a street-level drug dealer and you, like, <laughs> idolized whatever your local, uh, you know, the local head because they had a fancy car i was sort Mm. of the kid who was like well you know who how does this fancy car person exist and who's the Mm. person above them because clearly they have a boss too Mm. uh and so i was just trying to dig to figure out what the whole structure of this organization was it's it was it's a truly decentralized organization Mm. it it, you know crypto to me is just a offshoot of the scene um you know BitTorrent came out of the scene and like a lot of the decentralized early decentralized web was really mm. associated to online piracy. Um, wow. <laughs> See, this is why this is why I want to talk about things like that. That's amazing. So, what kind of skills does it have? Does it take for? Uh, I mean, you were just a not not even a kid. You were a little kid. You're. What kind of skills does it take to navigate the scene? And this is a, a fairly complex and somewhat in some ways dangerous i guess right uh social hierarchy what kind of skills does that take is this is this an eq thing is this like i mean how did you how'd you navigate this how does that work as a kid yeah for sure i think the interesting thing about the early internet is that people's identities didn't really have such a strong uh uh set of baggage associated to them, mm. right? Right now, people's identities online are like, oh, I have a Twitter, I have a Facebook, I have a dot, 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 and those all like leak a ton of information mm. about you. But back then, it was, you know, I had a username and mm-hmm. some text. And so everyone was kind of equal. No one really knew how old anyone was, and you couldn't really perceive it as well because people weren't used to communicating online. Mm. Uh, so this is like, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. Sure. And so... Basically, you know, you got to feel like there was no difference between you and the adults. And so mm. if you, you can, you know, sort of mimic some of their 
behaviors, you could kind of try to understand like what people were, were really trying to say. And mm. one thing I learned was, you know, most of these IRC channels would have, uh, you know, the main channel, which would basically be admins sort of broadcasting, hey, message this bot and it will send you mm-hmm. this pirated movie. Uh, and then they had like a chat channel where you could ask questions and hang out. And what you what I learned was like you basically go to the chat channel and if you hang out there enough, you'll find out they'll kind of basically offer job postings. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, if you help with this, you can get access to movies faster. Um, and so, you know, the, over time I learned that the, the hierarchy is the following. There's basically, let's say I'm an Academy Award reviewer and I have mm-hmm. some movie before it comes out. Yes. Basically, someone hacks uh, sort of a safe house. So they hack a, 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 a box in a, a jurisdiction that has no extradition treaty. So hmm. say North Korea, say Iran, something like that, uh, with wherever the, the person who's uploading the material is. Mm-hmm. They upload it to kind of the safe house. And then from the safe house, it gets uploaded to a bunch of data centers. So back then, the main, most of the data centers that didn't have any uh, legal restrictions were in Scandinavia. So it usually mm-hmm. go to, to sort of places in, in Finland and, and Norway. And after that, uh, there's sort of this series of uh, FTPs, these file file servers that people are running. And there were a bunch of people who were called couriers. And couriers <laughs> would take, say, a movie from one file server uh-huh. and upload it to another one. And they were kind of arbitrageurs. They optimized their credits. So mm. for every upload that they would upload, they would get some tokens. You should really think of them like tokens. Mm-hmm. And every time they downloaded, they would pay with tokens. And so they had to keep their upload to download ratio, their token mm. balance, in some sense, above a certain amount. Um, but they, they would notice that, hey, like this FT file server is always late on movies, mm. whereas this one's really early. So if I upload, go to the early one, find movies that it has that the late one doesn't have, and I download from one and upload to the other, I can like end up having more credits. If that makes sense. That, so so is, is it a system that the credits though are within the system? It's not nobody are people earning money this way or it's a, it's a closed system. It, it's a closed system. Yeah. So I think one of the dreams of that time was that there would be a currency mm. to monetize. <laughs> I think a lot of the cryptocurrency stuff came out of this yeah. basically trying to figure out how to monetize this credit system. Fascinating. Um, certainly like Satoshi referenced it a bunch yeah. in, in Bitcoin talk. So it, it's not, it's certainly connected. Uh, sure. And, you know, Bram from BitTorrent was obviously understood this. And Yeah, I mean, I'm um, hearing so many concepts that are so relevant to our industry. You mentioned some things that sound like regulatory arbitrage. Uh, which obviously we know is is quite relevant relevant to many aspects uh, of our industry. Uh, tokenizing tasks and and, and tokenizing contributions. Uh, it's certainly and and decentralized and issues with anonymous actors and and things like that. It certainly uh, is very reminiscent of things that resonate in our industry today and in, in here you know in 2020. Yeah, so another thing that's, so basically there would be, within this scene, there would basically be these groups, and the groups acted a little bit like uh, companies. So there Mm. would be someone who would be sourcing the pirated material, so they knew someone at 
a big game company or they knew people who were on the Academy review Mm. or they knew where to get music. Um, And then there were uh, some people who were couriers. So these people who would, uh, you know, kind of arbitrage be like, Hey, we got the new, our group just released this new video game piracy thing. Mm. We're going to upload it to your things, uh, but give us access to your servers. So, Mm. It was like a, there was kind of a social credit system of like, right. oh, like we 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 can provide this type of pirated good, but we don't have this type of pirated good. Right. So if you give us access to your servers, then we'll upload these. You know, we'll upload mm. video games or we'll upload music or whatever. Okay. Um, and then there there are people you know downstream of these file servers. So once the once things get replicated over these file servers, almost like things get replicated on a blockchain. Like mm-hmm. your data gets replicated over all miners. This is almost the same thing, except it's done by this sort of weird credit arbitrage. Hmm. Uh, then it reaches internet relay chat. Mm. And so internet relay chat is like these big chat rooms. So there are these right. centralized servers, almost like Discord, where people run chat rooms and they have a bunch of channels. You, you can view Slack and Discord as just, I mean, I actually am pretty sure they just copied the hmm. IRC protocol and changed the port. But uh if you if you you know there are these channels and in these channels basically people would have sort of the final public right. sharing of these files so people would have um, basically hacked machines these bots called XDCCs that would uh, basically uh, you know advertise files and so you would message them and then they'd send you a file and so where's I'm, I'm sorry I didn't really quite this, follow uh, that the hacked machine is. It, tell me exactly what the hacked machine is. Yeah, sure. Yes, right. So, so, so in 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 the IRC protocol, yes, uh, there is a file transfer mechanism that's peer to peer. So it's like if you're in the chat room, it's like going on Slack and sending a message, mm-hmm. sending a file to someone. Sure. Right. Um, that part again. I remember IRC. Peer- I just I, I'm just not quite clear on when when you say the hacked machine, what what exactly is going on there? Ah, uh, yeah. So so there's this peer to peer transfer mechanism. Yeah. Um, which, unlike Slack, doesn't go to a central server mm-hmm. when you send a, like a file to someone. Right. And what people would do is they would hack a bunch of computers with really good uh, hard disk space and mm. um, internet connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, at that time, most people were on dial-up, so right. it was like you would try to find like companies that had like a T3 line mm-hmm. or like OC3 line or something. And so these hack machines would have a bunch of bandwidth, mm. and so you'd hack them, and then you put pirated goods on them, and then mm. run a server where they would basically be a bot in the chat room saying, "Hey, message me this, and I will send you this file." Understood. Okay. So is that almost like creating a botnet then, effectively? Is it is it useful to think of it in in that kind of fashion? Uh, yeah, sorry, I think you're breaking up there. Um, hi, but... hi, is it useful to think of it kind of like a botnet then? Uh, you're hacking into uh, multiple machines and creating a network of machines. Is it useful to think of it as a, as kind of like a botnet? Yes, yeah, exactly. You're basically, okay. You basically have like a botnet that's serving all these files. And so these IRC channels, you know, if you were the biggest channel, mm-hmm. that was because you had the most, you know, you were the, these channels were kind of the boundary between the private, right? like, hey, we have these private file servers that only certain people can get onto, mm. and the public, like anyone yeah. can go in the IRC channel. 
And so the biggest channels were the ones that had the best bots, like the mm. fastest bots, plus had access to the scene stuff pretty early. Mm. Because the idea is this is decentralized in a way such that the people who are actually procuring the pirated goods or cracking the video game passwords and mm -hmm. licenses or whatever, they want to be separated from the distribution. Right. And as a kid, I thought the people who had the distribution had the most power because they were like were most interesting <laughs> uh, because they kind of were the bridge between right. kind of the actual procurement and stuff. And you still had to figure out how to hack machines. You still had mm -hmm. to like figure out how to break into stuff and you know I, I i was 12 and the internet was mm -hmm. early so i mm. feel like statutes of limitations are over now so <laughs> i feel you know okay I'm not but i feel like now i don't know if i were a kid if i yeah. could get away with doing stuff like that sure it's, it's tightened up for sure like, so so the botnet effectively like the launders your your actions now. then as well the, the the having those hack machines are, are also uh that that's part of your protection then i'm just kind of thinking this through yeah, basically your ability yeah. to get yeah. find new hack boxes was the main was your main currency. So like social currency. Right. So because you're implementing a botnet and again I hope that's a useful framework that that, that yeah. means that you were not you didn't have servers under your desk in your childhood home. You didn't have, you know, Linode's ramped up or whatever. Uh you 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 were using a botnet is is that correct when when yes, you ran exactly. uh whereas punks you can you can basically think of of all the things that are serving files as a botnet yeah fascinating and i mean did, were you worried about well i guess before even that did when you interacted with these people did did you i did they know you're you're a kid or did you just uh learn how to be an adult through interacting in in this anonymous fashion in a way I think it was the latter. I mean, there I may have been a couple people that I told, <laughs> but oftentimes whenever I told people is because they also revealed they were like 15. Uh, wow. I think the whole scene was filled with kids. I mean, it, it's like crypto a little bit. Uh, I think crypto is a little older. It's like yeah. 18, but this was like, you know, everyone was super young. I mean, I think I would say I was 16 or something. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and then what, what kind of skills, I mean, is it more like script kiddies, skills or, or did you have to have actual hardcore hacking skills to be able to implement this kind of thing for sure I, it started it always starts as script mm. kitty and yeah. then eventually you're you know you you have to do the maintenance right. of your script kitty stuff and you're like wait why does this thing not work and then you so i think a lot of what i learned then was like how to use how to use linux and mm. like how to understand these types of exploits right and how to read code for exploits but so you, I didn't you were actually any, hacking like, in find, the machines, i didn't find any like though. really crazy ones myself oh, most okay. of the things i found were like slight modifications of yeah. existing things but you know i you're not getting a better education in this stuff <laughs> you know it's not like i learned any of this stuff in college right <laughs> like, i don't yeah. think you like learned this type of stuff Probably. unless you're doing it yeah yeah that makes sense so did you i mean did you have like a rep like oh wow where is punks the, you know the breaking bad dudes here I mean, did you have like a rep? You you were running the biggest the biggest one, right? Yeah, yeah. So so actually, it was me and my friend oh, from yeah, right. uh, mm -hmm. middle school. <laughs> okay. We went to school together, and yeah. we both were both were were deep in this. Mm. 
Um, I think that was another thing. Having like yeah. a friend IRL who mm. was also in this was a, a good, uh, you know, a good uh, thing. Sure. Um, and, so, and so basically, you know, we, I think our rep was that we always had hmm. music first. Mm. Okay. Um, I guess going with the name, but. <laughs> right, okay. So you mentioned, this is really fascinating to me, you mentioned um, all these different roles that people have in the scene. Before you ran Whereas Punks, uh, probably, I guess, I guess that was from age 10 to 12. So especially yeah. from 8 to 10, uh, what are some of the roles that you had? You mentioned, you know, courier type role, things like that. What were your roles? Yeah, so I think the first thing was basically couriers. Mm. And then once I was a courier, cause I think if I make the drug dealing analogy, I think it's like, <laughs> you know, the easiest. Right? The, the, the courier is like the, the kid on the street mm. who's like sitting at the corner, okay. like, I don't know, selling crack. And okay. that person goes to like a local dealer who okay. sells them more. Actually, I just watched this amazing documentary on this crazy uh crazy guy who mm-hmm. who like really ran the uh he figured out how to like he's like a kid who ran this like uh drug dealing operation to like mm. that basically serviced on wall street and he was like a like 15 year old wearing a suit and like showing up to wall street and like selling people <laughs> drugs and like his operation was extremely similar to how i view these players operations so like that's why i'm making okay. an analogy okay yeah i'm trying but i was the, a sheltered uh, suburban kid so I'm, I'm trying to follow around okay you got a kid on the corner and then... i'm a suburban kid so i i i didn't even understand this I did. I, if I didn't do this weird stuff, I think I would have watched the drug drug documentary on Vice yeah. and been like, "What?" <laughs> but, okay. But it actually is extremely similar. So basically, uh-huh. you have the you're a courier, and once you're a courier, you 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 first get a trial, so you mm. get access to some of the like shittier FTP like mm. file servers that have maybe like or have bad latency, like they mm. get stuff late or they like have low bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And you're you're kind of like scraping for for like whatever you can find. Like, oh man, I found like that this particular site like never has any right. uh, video games, uh, and they're okay with their rules. Say, hey, you can upload some video games. So I try to find some video games, and I, I scrape together a couple tokens here and there. You know, mm. uh, and then once you survive doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you slowly work your way up to getting better and better uh, file server access. Mm. And, you you know, as you get, what I mean by better is more bandwidth mm-hmm. um, and more uh, sort of lower latency, like closer, mm. like, you know, basically as close to release time as possible. Mm. So, um, and so as you get those, you start learning about, you start meeting more of the people above the couriers. So, right. you know, in the, you start meeting sort of like the people who are hacking the boxes or mm. like the data center operators who are like giving free space yeah. to these things. And that means meet and, online, obviously, right? Never in yes, real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I grew up in a, you know, 
big house in the suburbs with no <laughs> people around, more horses than people. In Delaware, <laughs> I think, right? Is that right or no? Yeah, Delaware, yeah exactly. Yeah. There's more horses than people. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Me really. too, but Connecticut. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I think maybe because it was so boring there. Mm. I'm sorry to my parents. You know, it, it was a great place to grow up, but because it's you know there's not much going on. This was like, you know. Uh, <laughs> Did you know, I have a question for you, that's something I I think about from time to time, uh, because we had probably similar uh, childhoods in a lot of ways, I think. Did you know at the time when you were a sheltered, well, you weren't, man, you were running a international crime syndicate, but aside from that, you had a sheltered (laughs) sheltered childhood, Uh, and and putting aside the, the whereas punks, did you know it was like not real. It, it was a particular time and place in, in America, which was kind of unique, I, I think. Did you know it was like this weird sheltered thing and not like real life at all? Because I had no idea till later. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I feel I feel like mainly because of this stuff where I'd like talk to people online and like their life situation sounded way, oh, okay. way. Well, okay, okay. There are a lot of people who get into piracy. Yeah. Not in the U.S. because at that time they were physically selling this stuff, right? Mm. So they they would like try to become a courier so that they could get like the newest movie mm. and then burn it to a DVD and then sell it. Like they had a store in Dubai <laughs> or something or, no or Singapore. And so you would meet people like mm. that, and I'd be like, "Whoa, I didn't have to do any of that. Like this is crazy." <laughs> <laughs> you you did what today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow, but so, okay. so what I meant is, you would meet Understood. more and that more makes a lot of sense, CD people the further up you got, uh, and more like people whose like lives mm-hmm. were invested in this, right? Rather than kind of fair weather fans. Mm-hmm. So you were and at some at point, I realized the people cur- with all the power were the hackers, like uh, the people like uh, rooting boxes and, right, and stuff right. like that. Okay, so eight years old, you're a courier, and then a lot of it's based on trust. Time goes on, people start to trust you more. You, you're starting to go up the hierarchy, right? Basically so far, right? And then yep. do you have situations, I mean, again, I, I understood you're a kid, but uh, did you have situations where you're eight, nine years old and you're thinking, is this dude from North Korea or is this, you know, the FBI or is this some uh, some music industry, you know, legal thing? And, and I, I, I need to be extremely careful at this point in time. Do you, do you have moments like that? I think I had a couple moments like that. Um, but I think it was just like such a naive version of the internet. Yeah. Like you have to remember, like this is right, like right. Napster was just really growing. Mm. Like I feel like the music industry barely understood what was mm. happening. Okay. Um, okay, that makes sense. And and I don't think I, I mean I took some precautions. Like I had uh, what whatever what you know what you, we call VPNs now. Mm. There used to be these things called which were basically I would compare them to vanity license plates, hmm. which were called bouncers. So mm. your when you connect an IRC, it would show your like IP address and if it could resolve it, almost like a ENS domain, mm-hmm. it would show XXX your dot IRC. Like there was some protocol for showing and mm. basically people would buy up domains to like so that they would route their VPN through that domain. So that when you right. you'd show up on EFNet or something, it would say, you know, Tarun at 
right. I.ride.lamborghinis or something. You know, like, mm-hmm. like I don't know. Was, I, everyone made up, like, crazy weird DNSs, but mm. they were all to hide their VPN. No kidding. Um, so there, there, was, there, there was some level of care, but certainly not it the level so of care. It was so early. It was so early that it wasn't that point in time yet where you had to, where there was real legal risk and, and things like that, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I think it, it wasn't. And, like, luckily I got out yeah. by the time I was 12. So, so then, hold on. Like, so you, I, what are your, 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 your family at this time thinks you're doing what? Just, like, uh, playing computer games? Or how does this I mean? They, they don't yeah, know, right? I, so what do they I think feel you're like doing? They, I, just, I just told them I was, like, learning programming. <laughs> or, like, I was, I was, like, really trying to, trying to understand it. But, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they knew I was doing a lot of piracy related stuff but i think oh, they, they knew really... oh okay uh, yeah i think they kind of knew maybe uh, they knew. okay but it's never you know, come I, up I, you've never been like so did you know about the thing <laughs> i mean i think they like they they kind of were just like don't get in trouble amazing amazing <laughs> which you know like i said it was it was a privileged uh, existence <laughs> versus like understood I, certainly versus other people who i feel like yeah you know you never really associate piracy as much with like the seedy underworld, but like mm-hmm. I definitely met some okay. people who were like, you know, running drug prostitution and piracy rings all at once in oh. like Dubai. Okay. It was like it was it was or like they would say they did that. Um, oh right. You know, okay. Obviously, I have no clue, but yeah. you know, it, as as like a ten year old or eleven year old, you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> I like. I have no- they had no that's conception good point. of right, what that was. Right. They were just like abstract concepts yeah. to me. That's a good point. Wow. Uh, so, so how many users were you serving at, at age 12? Yeah, so we got to like 8,000 or 10,000, something. All that's, around so the world. Was, yeah, all around the world. And that's like what, per month yeah. or, con- or, or, or uh, concurrent or... Uh, that, that was concurrent. Like how many people oh, no were kidding. in the IRC channel? Okay. You know, we would have maybe like... 100 to 200 um, of these bots in the botnet. Mm. And then, you know, we had some scripts that would like go rotate out bots, mm-hmm. like if they died and, mm-hmm. and, and would fetch some FTP stuff automatically. You know, it was very primitive DevOps. Right. You know, I think, you know, there was no cloud then. <laughs> there, there was just like me running a, bu- a bunch of like <laughs> me running a bunch of scripts on a bunch mm. of random servers. And if they died, I would like have to, you know, go start a new one. But Again, people didn't. People didn't know they were getting hacked back then, nor right. did they monitor their network traffic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was it was just like sure. too early in the internet. That that actually makes sense. Um, and then uh, so you're you're accumulating uh, credits, a kind of yeah. tokens, uh, which are um, native not just to whereas punks. They're native to the scene, correct? Yes. So, exactly. But, but it's almost like each mm-hmm. server has its own uh you know token almost, right? Oh, okay. Like you're basically So it's like uh, whereas Punk has, has dot and then some other server has has ETH and Yeah. And then there's a conversion rate. I mean, how does this work? This is amazing, actually. Yeah, so so usually these these websites would be like, Hey, if you've uploaded more than X mm. then you only have to keep a ratio right. of upload to download of two. 
But if you uploaded less than X, mm-hmm. you have to keep it a three. And they had all these rules, mm-hmm. but like honestly, you probably could replicate them with something like Uniswap. Where right, like you sure. actually just traded the token external to the thing. And like every, you could think of every arbitrage that you were doing of like moving file from one to the other as like almost like a mm-hmm. trade. Mm-hmm. Because like some of them would say your ratio needed to be above two, some would say your ratio needed to be above one point five, and almost just like mm-hmm. collateral limits and in compound or something. You you just would be like, Oh, I can be more aggressive here downloading it. I can be less aggressive here and mm. try to keep my ratio up. And so most of it was that. And then they would do bonuses and mm-hmm. stuff of like, hey, if you uh if you uh you know like have been uploading more than X, we're giving you like a bump of like this many credits. Right. But it, you know, centralized. But each of you could basically think of each of these FTPs as having their own community currency. Mm. Now, is is it like file transfer like Filecoin or Saya style? No. Uh, but it, it does have a lot of flavors of things that, you know, people mm-hmm. really used to be now in crypto. But it was much more, like, accidental that, right. that this, this system came up. It was yeah. just more that, like, hey, you know, we need some DDoS prevention. Emergent. So that people don't constantly download yeah. and use all our download bandwidth, but then never upload anything. And it sort of was like a competition between these different servers where, like, they the people who ran them wanted to have kind of the street cred mm. um, of like having the best FTP. No kidding. So what were the where is punk, uh, punks, where is punks tokens called? Yeah, so we didn't, we, we basically didn't really, I mean, so none of these things had Cobra called tokens. They were just basically right. FTPs that had ratios of upload to download. Right. So if you've ever used torrents, mm-hmm. You know how torrents have like Allegedly. a ratio that you, <laughs> that you have to keep on the side or something? It's yeah, the sure, same sure. thing, except torrents replicated ratios over like many, you know, many chunks, right? Mm. In some sense, you have a global agreed upon ratio right. that everyone is trying to keep up with for a single torrent tracker. These FTPs were much more centralized. So torrents mm. are like decentralized FTPs, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, the FTP is just like, you know, it was just like a server where you said, hey, right. like, here's everyone's balance in the sense of like how much they've uploaded. Mm. Here's everyone's debt. Here's how much they've downloaded. And here's how much what the, you know, equity to debt ratio right. needs to be. So it's okay. So it, it's it, a ledger it, of uploads and downloads and, and things like that. Exactly. It's not like yeah. your, uh, your stacking tokens. It's not like that. It's more just a, a ledger that in some sense is interoperable across different uh, whereas communities. Is, is, is that is exactly that, okay? Yeah, the couriers yeah. are the interoperable. Okay. They're like in Cosmos, like the, the validators who validate yeah. for the hub. They're very similar in some sense. So it's okay. like, it's kind of funny. You know, I was like very young and didn't really understand <laughs> this like social dynamic of all this stuff, but like, it sounds like you did though. Crypto is always appealing <laughs> to me. With yeah. that, it's just like a more industrialized version mm, of this. Amazing. Um, so, what was your are any, any surreal experiences that stand out? You mentioned some weird people you met. What, what were like one or two of the most surreal moments? Of being yeah. a uh, whereas kingpin at the age I mean, of ten or twelve. One of the times was realizing that. Um, the like there was this 
FTP server that we were using a bunch mm. and it just was like amazing. Like it had like, you know, at that time having 155 MBit synchronous mm. upload and download channels was kind of crazy and, right. and unheard of. Mm. Um, and there was a site that had like two terabytes, which again, this is Understood. 2000, two yeah. terabytes is like a two terabytes or something. or something. Right. Yeah. It's gigantic. Today, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, over time, I was like, who is this, like, Finnish mm. dude who is, like, really has all this stuff? This is mm. crazy. Um, because I would, like, keep hearing about it from different avenues. Like, hey, because, <laughs> like, there's also, like, this kind of, in the same way that you see, like, shitcoin telegram groups where there's, like, yes. groups of people, like, hey, like, I'm getting into this thing, whatever. Mm. Couriers would have little chats and be like, hey, like have you seen this server? Right, right. I, I've been like a good cred on it. And the incentive there was that um, the more couriers who are on a server, the mm. better the quality and the lower the ratios. So there's yeah. like some carrying capacity. You don't want too many couriers because then they're cutting into your mm. upload download ratio, mm-hmm. but you need more than just you to mm. like, mm. so that you have new stuff to send other to other places. So there's right. this like weird network effect, but carrying capacity of the network. Right. Um, so there were all these chat rooms. So just, that one was just like kept coming up and over and over and over. And I was like, who owns this thing? And slowly over time, I tried to do a little digging. <laughs> and it was Kim.com. No kidding. Oh, that's amazing. You're sure, you're I mean, sure that was him? Had, had, had I'm you... sure it's him. <laughs> Pretty sure it's him. <laughs> so did you ever like, talk to Kim? Like, oh, it's the, as a, it's the as mega upload guy. And I was like, yeah, what the yeah. fuck is mega it's like mega <laughs> upload didn't exist then. Yeah, like yeah. and so slowly I th- basically mega upload was him trying to monetize mm. the fact that he was giving away sure. all this free space to seeing people mm. so did you ever interact with with kim then as a kid not that i know of not but he could know have of. very easily just right, been right, some right. anonymous name yeah. that <laughs> you know what I mean? amazing uh, that's kind of the beauty of this stuff is that yeah you know people even though there wasn't real anonymity mm. the reason there wasn't anonymity is there wasn't like tons of surveillance capitalism on sure. in the world that and so like you felt this level of anonymity where like you know hey i see that person's username in five places but mm. i don't know who they are so did anyone in real life besides your buddy that you did it that you did it with anyone else in real life know about this or was it like your your big two-person I, secret I, you know, we 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 did do we did do a bunch of things like we like hacked our school network because we found <laughs> out that the firewall <laughs> at school had a really stupid um, like there's this weird <laughs> this is how bad like school procurement of firewalls is absolutely this fantastic. firewall which they were we learned they were paying like twenty thousand dollars a month for mm. had a text file that you could open and mm. set and change something from active to inactive. Hmm. And then all of a sudden it would like get rid of all the, you basically get root. Mm. Um, <laughs> it was just like shockingly bad. Mm-hmm. And so we, we actually use some of our school. We, we, every once in a while we would like bring pirated movies to school and like mm. watch that. Okay. So other people knew kind of knew, knew a little bit. Other people knew a little bit. Yeah, I think people always knew. Mm. And the thing again, this boils down to the fact that like computers and the internet were just sure. new enough that like understood. It just didn't seem like crime. I I, 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 that makes a lot of sense actually. So did you get busted for hacking the school then? 
Uh, we kind of got in some trouble, but I don't <laughs> even really we, like it wasn't really that bad. They're just like, don't oh, tell okay. other kids. Because <laughs> uh, you went to maybe if you went to a public school uh, or or a different, you went to a month. I saw you somewhere you went to a Montessori school, so that might have had yeah, that was something to do with really. This, right? this was just like a public school. This was like a normal public school oh, okay, uh, okay. in middle school, uh, and like it was. It was, uh, I, I just feel like some teacher understood what we were doing and just was like, <laughs> was like, you know, amazing trying to warn us about getting caught. But, <laughs> but uh, you it. know, I don't think we really, yeah. I, I don't think we got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like amazing when I think about all of these things. And it's yeah, like, yeah. if I were a kid now, there's absolutely no way. Oh, you can't, no, it's like, impossible. There, there, it's a different, very different world. Um, what's, what skills do you think you learned from this? I bet it was, I mean, you mentioned how it, uh, kind of prepared you in some ways for crypto. Uh, what, what, what'd you learn? What, what skills did you take away from this, this, this four year journey? I feel like I learned a lot about decentralized online communities. Mm. Um, and you know, like I said, a lot of the stuff I see right now in crypto mm. just like really resembles, like doesn't Amazing. feel that, that different than that. Um, I think also just like organizing people on- mm. online. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Was, was quite quite important. Uh. I think organizing people online in a way that like didn't rely on identity. Uh. Whereas like right now, I feel like identity is such a big thing. Um, sure. And, you know, I think I just like learned a lot of random, you know, it gave me one thing, uh, certainly I feel about programming, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been programming since I was Mm -hmm. that age, Mm -hmm. is that I'm not the type of person who programs on like, wants to like make a weekend project to make like, I don't know, like a widget that opens Mm -hmm. your door and like flash, it has a robot that flashes a bunch of lights and opens your speaker or, you know, like whatever the traditional like stereotype hacker thing is I, I need a directed goal yeah yeah okay and mm-hmm. this was like a directed goal right it was mm. like hey like try to get the biggest irc channel yeah. well, so was that actually so, your goal you you actually had that it, it didn't just slowly ha- i mean you you pursued that is that correct yes oh exactly. my god that's unbelievable how, it was like pretty even... much that was the only reason I like <laughs> tried to learn all these things. You wanted um, to have the biggest words channel, and you're you're yes. at what age do you have this goal? It's ten. Yeah, I probably like nine or ten, and then by the you know once I had it at twelve, I um, somehow suddenly got bored of everything. <laughs> that was my next question. Why did you walk away from your empire? Because and so it wasn't intellect. You achieved what you wanted to. You were the the king, and so now it's not. I already did it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was Amazing. kind of like uh, bored. Also, torrents were really starting uh, to take off then, like private torrent trackers. And in my mind, like IRC was, you know, like it was going to exist. But I think I was like, you know, we're going to cut out the the distribution channel wasn't going mm. to be IRC. It's going to be torrent. No kidding. Um, so like, I, I mean, I think that was actually the year that uh, David Mazieris is the the chief scientist at Stellar, he he wrote the mm-hmm. first paper on sort of some of the networking layer that went into to, to BitTorrent um, for Kademlia, which, you know, is, 
I, I think it like is more a testament to the idea that like right. you know if you can actually decentralize this courier network, then you don't need the couriers or the IRC channels. Hmm. So well, what I learned is, is also blown, like the decentralized you. thing can disrupt your little hegemony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so many other cool things about you. I, I saw somewhere that you you went really into uh, Alexander Shulgin. Is that his name? This, this is someone you, yes. you really wanted to learn all about. Can that I ask about this? Like the end of the we, we, was we can the always beginning chop of the this later. <laughs> we, we can yeah, chop the, this the, later. Yeah, so I you know, where where did this uh, the Shulgin thing is actually quite funny. Shulgin. In mm-hmm. the sense that it's like really actually the where you know, I think being in being around doing illegal stuff just made it not feel that mm. odd, even though it's just illegal stuff online. So we we should tell um, people who Alexander Shulgin is. Uh, yes, yes. So he right, was right, the right. god. He's called the godfather of psychedel- psychedelics. Is that correct? And he he uh, introduced MDMA to the psychiatry community. Does that make sense? I don't know. I just googled this. I'm learning from you. Yes. Today. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he he kind of rediscovered MDMA. So MDMA mm. was first actually invented by Bayer in like 1904, mm. 1905. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they didn't know what it was for. They just kind of like, at that time, you know, kind of what you see now with biologic drugs, uh, right. people, when they made small molecules, would just patent them and yes, sure. not try them. Yeah. Because like, they're like, hey, what if someone later figures out it's yes. active? If we own the patent, we can yeah. start selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Bayer technically made it uh, like uh-huh. 80 years before the patent expired when he figured it out. Uh, but basically he... He realized that this small modification of amphetamines uh, mm-hmm. would uh, really cause cause completely different effects than just like a raw stimulant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most interesting thing about him is that you know he was this guy who was he did his PhD at Berkeley and then he went mm-hmm. and worked at uh, like this fertilizer company in the like seventies. Well, that so this is terrible. before Rachel Carson <laughs> okay. type of stuff happened. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, basically, he, uh, you know, again, this is a, a thing about being early in an industry. There's a lot more research. And so the mm. company, he, he found some fertilizer mm-hmm. that the company was, like, very happy with, like, did really yeah. well in sales and all this stuff. And he, they were like, hey, you can do research on whatever you want for one year. Okay. And that was when he started really getting into doing research on drugs. He was publishing academic papers on, on psychedelics. Um, again, this is the 70s. This, yes. No way this happens right now of without course. the DEA knocking yeah. on your door. Um, and, you know, eventually they were just like, hey, I think it's a little weird that you're, uh, you can, you're publishing all these psychedelic things under the Dow Chemical, like, uh, you know, name. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to retire. Because, like, they basically gave him a really good exit package. Uh, and he was like, uh, I, can, I can basically retire. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he built a little lab in his home. And he, he, he did these very scientific experiments of, of psychedelics where he would mm-hmm. make a compound. And then he would – he had a, a particular, like, dosing regimen where he would dose himself up to a certain amount and, oh. you know, measure kind of like a bunch of different vitals and, and also subjective qualia effects. 
And then if he found some effect, he would then figure out the right dosing and then make get a group of people who are kind of trained, a lot of like chemists and artists and musicians. And they would try it and then they would each write their qualia and then he would collect them. And then he, he kind of wrote this book uh, in the late 80s or early 90s called mm-hmm. Phenylethylamines I've Known and Loved, <laughs> which gives uh, sort of the chemical recipes for making all these things, as well as um, as well as uh, uh, the stories of, of his, you know, kind of half the book is like this like love story, mm-hmm. at, uh, as well as like the stories of like people taking these drugs. Mm. And the other half is like the chemical description of them and how to make them. Of course, the DEA wasn't very happy with this. Um, but does sound... you know, in the process, he basically invented almost <laughs> all modern psychedelics and figured out these whole classes of compounds mm. that you know you can tune very slightly chemically and get very different uh, output uh, output phenomena and different mm. also different kind of brain chemistry. Um, but Shulgin was just kind of, you know, I think, and, you know, I actually think maybe I was somewhat influenced by people I met in mm-hmm. IRC who were like very pro psychedelic, mm. uh, who, you know, some of the, especially some of the, the people who I learned, you know, what I would call you know, some hacking from or like how right. to like understand how to read exploit C code and stuff like that, you know, like the people, those people were always very pro-psychedelics so i was like what are these things and slowly you know there's there's i was really lucky that by the time i was at that age i was reading the stuff there's yes this amazing internet community called heroid which still exists i've heard of that okay i i, I remember the name but I, I don't really know what that is so t- tell us about heroid so heroid was uh shulgin and a bunch of other chemists mm-hmm. um kind of created a nonprofit that uh was dedicated to psychedelics education and Arrowhead had sort of really good references to academic papers. They had a bunch of mm. um, kind of like articles about, uh, you know, different use cases. And in some cases, you know, like the history of certain compounds. And mm. then they would also have um, this anonymous review site. So people would say, I took X, Y, and Z at this roughly these doses. And here's mm. my experience. Yeah. And it was, you know, I think if you wanted to actually do, like, rigorous research on the subject that was taboo, right. they were, like, really the best uh, no best uh, sort of reference point. So but I think Shulgin was just fascinating <laughs> because he took this, like, very scientific approach to this thing that, you know, for the most part was quite unscientific in my mind right like mm. you know albert hoffman who invented lsd how did he yes. how did he come up with it well yes he went to south america and like mm-hmm. tried mushrooms and was like how do i make analogs of these tryptamine compounds right. but he also was very lucky right it was it was lsd 25 he was like i'm just going to take ergot this rye fungus that happens mm. to have a little tryptamine ring at the bottom right mm. and i'm just going to like make a million modifications and maybe right. one of them will work and he accidentally touched the one that worked so I like this idea that Shulgin took towards drug discovery, uh-huh. uh, especially taboo drug discovery that was mm. extremely rigorous, uh, in spite of the fact that it was like you know socially frowned upon, unapproved uh, and science. I think that, uh, sorry, 
Un, so it was unapproved, unapproved science, uh, uh, exactly, off the grid, like but extremely science. scientific. Guerrilla science, but Guerrilla you know, getting science, published yeah. in the top journals uh, right. because it was very valuable yeah. insights. And I think, you know, the, the current um, modern day resurrection of, of psychedelics as mm-hmm. sort of, uh, you know, real treatments is, is sort of, is sort of, uh, is sort of super important um, in terms of, you know, there's been a lot of lost stories and research mm-hmm. on this field over the last 30 or 40 years because of kind of this misaligned incentives in the in the drug war that right of course yeah forced people to do this stuff underground yeah. but i think uh i think shulgin is just a kind of the ultimate pioneer of this stuff um and so that sparked your interest in biochemistry then and you later were a, a professional biochemist effectively is that correct biochemist sort of biochemistry I, researcher so- yeah, sort of. So basically what happened was, you know, uh, I was like, oh, neuropsychopharmacology is awesome. And I would mm-hmm. like teach myself some organic chemistry to try to understand some of these papers. And mm-hmm. I went to math and science school. So luckily yeah. I actually had, you know, like. You went to a magnet some, school? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, we, we did actually take college classes like organic yes. chemistry. So I, I was able to learn some of it in school. Yeah. Um, but then I feel like at some point I was like, I, I prefer moving bits to atoms, you know, uh, <laughs> one of one of them is way easier, less work. Uh, and, and so I, uh, you know, I, I studied sort of, uh, math and, and applied physics and art history, but mm. I basically, you know, was more on the pure math end right. of things like working in, in sort of like string theory and stuff like that and i was going to do a phd in string theory but then yeah basically there's this research lab dhr mm. research that uh you know this billionaire david try is spending his money yes. on doing kind of computational drug discovery research so the idea yeah. is to simulate the physics of proteins to simulate you know exactly how they work and then try to say, hey, can we like screen a bunch of drugs virtually and design a drug algorithmically and then go take it to the wet lab rather than right. like shooting in the dark uh, in like the lab. Um, and so there's this dream of like computationally aided drug design. Mm. And so, you know, I worked actually more, much more on the physics side of that, um, in particular, like studying like glass and also uh, sort of this working on sort of Monte Carlo simulation mm-hmm. methods but uh you know i think i was always interested in drug discovery type of stuff right. because of because of shulgin but i mean also my, my parents kind of phds were in that so oh, I, I, I always had some exposure to it i just uh, never never quite hmm. i never quite bit the bullet because i hated mm. experiments like the moment i had to like pour one <laughs> liquid into another yeah. i was like god damn it <laughs> So there are a million questions I could ask about D.E. Shaw, but we, we have five minutes left. I did promise we would ask about your inscrutable tweets. Um, yes. you're, you're famous, maybe infamous, for uh, tweets that uh, I think, is it fair to say that even some of the brightest 
people in the industry are, sometimes are trying to figure out what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> so it, yeah, you know, I, I think I think my math friends probably roll their <laughs> eyes, and then my like you know computer science friends are like, what the hell is this? And oh, then, okay. you know, I feel like other people are confused. <laughs> so, but. Do you have an audience in mind when you tweet? I mean, I'm sure you're just doing it for fun, you know. But but do you have an audience in mind? Or what? What? what tell us more about your tweets. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I totally have an audience in mind. I mean, I think the I actually I remember when I first got Twitter it was because mm-hmm. I I was actually a big writer on Quora, oh, um, which was this question and answer site. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and I really liked answering like math and science questions, mm. you know, partially for the altruistic reason of oh, right. it's nice to answer the question, but the selfish reason is mm. that I always found that I only really felt like I knew a subject when I could like write about it, oh, okay. like more simply. That makes sense. And, and you're it, expressing and I was yourself. Like, oh, okay. And Twitter, Twitter, people were claiming you could, you know, you got a similar experience on Twitter, but Twitter in 2012, I feel mm. like was just um, I, I don't know how how mm. how, uh, how scripted I have to be on this podcast, but it was a lot of VC you, circle jerk. Not so not I, not not at all. Go for it. <laughs> it was just a lot of VC circle jerk. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I couldn't like. I just felt like there was like all marketing and no. Uh, like, I like it, but you know we sometimes, including me, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. So I, I have some examples here. All of finance is a separating hyperplane theorem. Tarun, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Guillermo, who's one of my good collaborators, actually was the intern with me at DU Shaw, but mm. you know, we now work together. He's at Stanford now. Mm. But he uh, he works in a field uh, called convex analysis. And convex okay. analysis studies sort of things that you can optimize that have unique optima. So like right. I have some set of metrics and mm-hmm. I have some inputs that can change those metrics. Um, what right. happens if, say, there's a, a a best input? How do I find the best input such okay. that I maximize my metrics? Okay. Um, and one of the main theorems in that field is something called the separating hyperplane theorem, mm. which basically says, you know, you can always fit a function that can classify something mm-hmm. uh, given some conditions of, like, I can always say, hey, all these textbooks that you've given me the text of are about dogs and all these other textbooks are about uh, MDMA. Right. And the separating hyperplane theorem gets reused a lot. And if you sort of look at a lot of uh, sort of more complicated things in finance, finance mm-hmm. has, finance is in some sense a big optimization problem, right? It's like sure. a bunch of different participants, each trying to optimize their yield or optimize their Mm-hmm. return on different horizons with risk preferences, mm. whatever. But if you if you think that the world is actually people are just solving kind of like simpler problems, then mm-hmm. sort of the separating hyperplane theorem shows up all the time. And, and sort of maybe one tongue-in-cheek thing you could say is, hey, all of finance is really just a corollary of the separating mm. hyperplane theorem. That's like you saying, hey, all of physics is a corollary of of calculus so you're talking like, really the point is that finance a big part of the story of finance is optimization is, is the underlying yeah thing. it's kind of Got making it. a joke hey finance okay. is just kind of a corollary of optimization it's kind of like you know when people tongue-in-cheek yeah, yeah. especially this happens a lot in math where like mm. 
people in math will be like, oh yeah, all of machine learning is just a corollary of like right, some right. one random theorem. It's like, like, yeah, sure. But like, if you actually try to do anything, that's not true. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think I understood. I, I want to get in one more. Then you also said, I think this is your pin tweet. You said uh, the 2000s, I think it was, is the decade of conspicuous consumption then the next decade was conscious consumption, and now it's conspicuous consciousness. I think uh, was the was the pin tweet. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so conspicuous consumption. I think of like the early two thousands. Well, like that I I, I got that the mortgage crisis. Oh, okay. To me, that's like, like the nineteen eighties, but maybe it's because I'm older than you. Conspicuous consumption. Yeah. I think we get that. But toss conscious consumption and then conspicuous consciousness. What are you yeah, talking about? So, so con- <laughs> conscious consumption is uh, is is I think of like the WeWork kind of like tweeny, no. like you know the, mm. the WeWork Dropbox era of like everyone saying they're being really conscious and caring uh, and whatever, but okay. it's still just like you know lots of consumption and like it, it mm. just all it is is a a rotation of sort of the signaling mechanism being like. Hey, are you, you know, super super rich? Mm. To like, hey, can you wear flip flops to a meeting? Uh, I uh, see. I see what you're right? saying. Right, and yeah. then there's this whole like, guru okay. thing. Like the TV show Silicon Valley, I feel like captures this conscious mm. consumption thing. Mm-hmm. And there's okay. a reaction I feel like to that, especially as the fall of like WeWork and like a lot <laughs> of the kind yeah. of ethos of those types of enterprises, where now people want to kind of like show that they're conscious perhaps would be mm. if they're not but like kind of there's kind of a, a, a vanity of like proving that you're mm. conscious and like meditate seven times a day and look at your oh God, astrological that sounds, signs that sounds and, absolutely terrible <laughs> yeah i agree i mean i so that but like you know it's just a it's just a thing i observe uh, that people I, are I think I kind of like okay flipping into like having to tell you about their whole like personal development schema mm. and whatever oh like, god <laughs> yeah, I'm so and, glad. And I just I, feel like I've noticed yeah. the flip, like you ah, know, it's okay. into this decade, and I think Got COVID it. really accelerated. Yeah. <laughs> I think I understand now. So, Tarun, this was amazing. I'm so glad we did this because it, it was truly fascinating. I feel like we could have talked about ten things equally amazing as your Where Is Punk story, but that one really is is just uh, such a cool backstory and. Uh, again, my purpose was some of the most interesting people, in, in my opinion, anywhere work in our industry, and we always talk shop. So why not talk about other cool stuff? And I, I really feel like we did that today. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Right. I think that's the first time I've, I've said that story. Amazing. Publicly. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay. Thanks very much. Take care then. Okay. Thanks.